Well, I'm excited to be here with you this morning and be able to share with you from the Word of God. We're going to be continuing in the series on Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Genesis chapter uh, 21. And if you're using the black Bibles underneath the chairs there, that's on page 18, Genesis 21. It is so awesome to be singing with the church, isn't it? Uh, that was just some great singing today, and I praise the Lord for, for how he, he brings us together to worship him. And as a church, we can encourage each other, we can praise each other, or not praise each other, praise the Lord together, and it's just amazing to hear all your voices together I love the instruments, they sound wonderful, but I also love when we sing as a cappella, when it's just the voices of the believers raised up to God, praising him for who he is. Uh, that, that first song today, that we will wait on him, that has a lot to do with the passage that we're going to be looking at today as we are looking at Abraham, how he's been waiting on God. And it's amazing to see everything that the Lord has done in Abraham's life. And we're just going to uh, continue on in this, past, in this uh, journey with him. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the goodness that you have shown to us as a church. You are the great and mighty God who sent your Son who rose from the grave. We celebrated that last week, and we're so excited to say that he is risen, Lord, and he is risen indeed. But this week later, he's still risen. He is still our God. He is still the one whom we worship. I pray today as we take a look at your word, how we will see that you are holy, that you are awesome, that you have a plan that's working, that as we were walking through this life as believers, that, Lord, you, you, you have different trials, different tribulations that we go through, and you give us fragments of the promises that you have given as a taste of what we will see when we get to glory and when you, you, your son comes back to earth. And, and we, what we experience now is so amazing, but is only fragment of what we'll experience later, Lord. We wait for you, and we wait for you to work amongst us. I ask that you will guard my words. May, may you keep me from any error. I ask that you will guard us from distractions. May, may the word go forth powerfully, Lord, and may, may it, it find places in our hearts as we, as we go throughout today and throughout the week and throughout our lives, Lord, I just ask that you will do a mighty work amongst us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we have been studying with Pastor Fletch the life of Abraham. And so I want to, we took a break last week for Easter, and I want just to do a brief review of where we've been to get a feel for what we're studying here today. So we started with Abraham 
all the way back in chapter 12, where God calls this man and his wife who, uh, uh, these people were not God worshipers. They were pagans who who were worshiping the uh, moon god, Sin. And God called them out. God called them to a land. God called them uh, out of nowhere. It was just, just out of nowhere. And, and we followed Abraham from that journey out of the land of Ur. We followed him up into the land of Haran and down into Canaan. We followed him as he had his first failures that we saw. His, his, the famine came and he, and he hesitated in his faith. He left the land of Canaan where God said that he was going to give to uh, Abraham. And he went down into Egypt. And down there, he, he had his first major failure of faith. And we see how he, he sac- sacrificed the safety of his wife for his own safety. And he put her up and allowed her to be taken by Pharaoh. God, in his awesome sovereignty, was able to rescue them and bring them back out. And we saw that God brought them back out of Egypt, not only Sarah and Abraham and his company that he had with them, but, uh, but with servants, male servants, female servants, flocks and herds, God blessed even in Abraham's faltering faith. We saw in, um, that there was the rift between Abraham and Lot, and Lot moved uh, to the uh, western plains, and then he was eventually taken captive by some rotting kings. And Abraham, we saw as the warrior, went sacrifice, putting his own life on the line to save his nephew Lot. We saw then later on that Abraham was the great intercessor for a wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He prayed for those people. And we saw that the first interaction with Abimelech that we're going to see today, how even throughout all his walking, throughout all that time, Abraham falls again to the sister lie for sacrificing Sarah for his own safety. And God once again saves him out of his falter. And then we saw the birth of Isaac and the glorious birth that he had there. And then we also saw the expulsion of Ishmael, the child that was born from the Egyptian slave, the child that was born from trying to grasp the promise of God through our own man-made way. All, these, all this that we've seen about Abraham all revolved around the first promises we saw given to him in Genesis chapter 12. I'm just going to review that quick. Genesis chapter 12, and uh, verse 1. And now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And all the families of the earth, and, and, in your fam- and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. 
Um, jumping down to verse 7 here. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar and worshiped the Lord who had appeared to him. So there are three main promises that Abraham was living his life on. The one promise was the promise that he would, be, he would have children. He would be the father of many. And it, within that promise was a second promise that there would be blessings that come from this lineage. And then the third promise was the promise of land. Now, God had sent Abraham to the land, but Abraham never had any piece of this land yet. And today we're going to see how God is giving Abraham the first fruits, the first taste of having rights in the land of Canaan. Just like we had seen, he had the first child born of the promise of, uh, of the many children, the first child of promise that would end up be, coming to Christ, who would be the one who would bring the blessings to the whole world. Today we're going to see the first, first instance of Abraham seeing the land promise. So Genesis chapter 21, and I'm going to be reading in verse 22. We're going to go through this whole passage. We're going to uh, work our way through it and then loop back to find some application. So at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me by God, that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But I have dealt kindly with you. And uh, so you will deal with me and with the land where you sojourn. And Abraham said, I swear. So I'm going to stop here first. So uh, just reminding us, we had seen Abimelech just a little bit ago um, in the passages, and that was where he had taken Sarah into his harem, and God had protected them. This is about five years after that, and it appears that Abraham had been living in this area of the Philistines, this general area in the countries where Abimelech was king. And it's about five years later, and Abimelech shows up, and he doesn't just show up by himself or with his royal entourage. It says he shows up with Phicol, the commander of his army. Now, this isn't just a normal, normal uh, uh, treaty type thing that's going on. Uh, just the presence of the commander of his army seems to indicate to, uh, uh, that if Abraham doesn't get his self in a line with Abimelech, we might have some conflict here. You don't exactly bring your the commander of your army, if you're not willing to go to war. You don't bring the muscle to a negotiation, so to speak, if you're, you're not willing to use it. So he's coming with a, a threat almost to Abraham. He's coming with the commander of his army. And as, we, as I was thinking about that, we say, well, why? Why would this king bring the commander of his army to, with him to negotiate with Abraham. So, I mean, uh, when we think about Sunday school, right, we, 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 we see the flannel graph up on the board, and it's this old man, this old woman, living in tents. 
we're not any kind of threat to a king, right? Well, if we, th- if we, if we want to think about it here, he wasn't just this old man and this old woman living in tents all, all by themselves. He had this huge company with him. He had this huge uh, uh, um, operation going on. If we go back to when he, there was that fight with the five kings from the east, he had 385 mighty uh, men, so to speak, 385 trained men who were able to go to war with him and defeat five kings. And that was 15 to 20 years earlier. So you can imagine that Abraham had this massive operation that has even grown since that time. So he comes, and he's, uh, Abimelech comes and is worried about Abraham. He's worried, I'm assuming, I'm looking at this, of that Abraham would join with another army, with other forces that were opposed to Abimelech and the, the Philistine nations. And he would join them in some type of revolt or some type of war. Uh, you can imagine that there would be a promise of, of a, a king, of a, say, land or something like that, if, if they would join, uh, Abraham would join in. Uh, Abimelech was, was worried. And it, it reminds me of what we see when we go to Exodus, how, how the king of Egypt was worried as the uh, Hebrews were multiplying in numbers. So he enslaved them because he, he, they were worried that if an evading army came in, they would join the other army. So Abimelech has this motivation of he's trying to intimidate and uh, trying, to, trying to basically muscle Abraham a little bit and because he's worried that Abraham might turn against him. Now, one thing we see here is that Phicol had recognized that Abraham has been blessed by God. And I'm going to put a little parenthesis here as we're breaking down the, uh, what, what, what's going on in this passage. Because we can learn a lot about human behavior from Abimelech and from uh, Abraham here, just in the, the words that are used. So Abimelech says to him, um, in verse tw- uh, 22, that we know that God is with you. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants. Abimelech has what I would call selective memory. He's suffering from what we all suffer from, selective memory. He's saying, okay, now you remember, Abraham, when I met you last time and I took Sarah, your wife, you lied to me? You told me Sarah was your sister? And, and that, that whole disease and everything else that came on from God? You remember how you lied to me and dealt falsely with me? Well, I'm, I'm asking you to promise not to do that again. He's kind of throwing Abraham's sinfulness up in his face. Have, have we ever dealt with someone where they're going to throw every mistake you make up in your face? That, that happens at times. And Abimelech says, okay, and, and I want you to deal kindly with me as I have dealt kindly with you. Now, this is why I call selective memory. Okay, Abraham's saying, yeah, 
you dealt kindly with me. You took someone that you knew was my relative, whether or not my sister or my wife, and you took her captive so that we would have peace in the land. Yeah, you really dealt kindly with me, didn't you? Um, as, we, as we see here, he has selective memory. He, doesn't, he remembers the high, high things about himself and the low things about other people. And sometimes in our, in our conflicts, we run into those who they remember the high, thing, or the, the high things about themselves, the good things about themselves, but they conveniently forget the negative things that they have done themselves. Now, one area that, that you can often see something like this is there are some people that you're going to come into contact with who are hostile to the gospel. And sometimes that's not even the person that you're dealing with. Sometimes you're sharing the gospel with a coworker or something. Let's say it's at lunch and the, the other person's near, uh, um, uh, wanting to know about the gospel and you're sharing with them. And someone just on the table over says, huh, Christians, let me tell you about Christians. And they start sharing the things that they experienced growing up in their life. They may have had the most horrible experience in the world, I don't know, but oftentimes they will remember the bad, but forget anything of the good. So when we are dealing with those who are not of the people of God, not of the people of God, oftentimes they will, we need to be careful how, how we interact because they will remember the false or the the bad things that, that end up happening, the bad things that we do, and, and forget anything of their own. Um, he says to Abraham, will you swear to deal kindly with me? What's interesting here is Abimelech doesn't seem to have any indication that he wants to be a part of, uh, align himself with Abraham Abimelech simply wants to have a general peace with Abraham. This reminds me of another person that we will see later in the Gospels, or not Gospels, in the Scriptures, of Rahab. If you look in uh, the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 2, we're not going to go there right now, but she takes the spies into her house, and she asks them that they will deal kindly with her as she has dealt kindly with them. Same words but different response. We find that Rahab wants to attach herself to the people of God, where Abimelech really didn't want anything to do with the people of God. He just wanted them to make sure that they weren't against him. So sometimes when we are sharing the gospel, we will, have, we will see different responses to the same type of situation. Some want nothing to do with the gospel. They just want to live in peace. Others, they want to join to the people of God. And end of that general parentheses, because uh, that's just some things we can learn about the interactions there. So what we find next about this is Abraham, he doesn't seem to be very contentious at this point. He, he seems to be living out the, the New Testament truth of seek to live peaceably with all men. He simply says, I swear. He just simply promises, I will deal kindly with you. Now, since we are in this negotiation time, I have a question for you, Abimelech. And he comes to Abimelech and says, in verse 25, 
When Abraham approved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, you did not tell me, and I have not heard of this until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs apart, or uh, seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for, for me that I have dug this well. Therefore, that place is called Beersheba, and both of them swore an oath, and they made a covenant at Beersheba. I'm just going to pause there for a second. So, Abraham does, I like, uh, showing his nature, uh, says, I know nothing about this well. What, what, what are you bringing up a well to me about? Didn't you just come to negotiate so that we could live in peace? Sometimes this shows the, the, the conflict and the difficulties that we're going to have in this world. And, and Abraham even is bringing this up. Of, I dug this well here for my sheep, and your servants took it. And the, 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 the importance of these wells are huge in the ancient Near East because especially where the, Abraham was living, there wasn't a lot of streams of water. There wasn't rivers. What there was was underground water table that was accessible. So they had to dig wells, and then they had to bring up this water to feed their, all their herds. We find this in a few different places. So Abraham, he's striving to live in peace. He brings us up and says, look, there's this well. You're, you're, we dug it. You're... Men seized it. <coughs> I'm not going to fight with you over this, but I do want to negotiate this terms of this well. So he sets aside these seven ewe lambs and gives them to Bimelech. And gives them to Bimelech basically as a payment stating that these, this, this land, excuse me, so he gives the uh, lambs as a, a testimony, as a witness that he dug that well. Abraham suffered even loss here. Of he didn't have to give up the lambs because in in a right world, because those lamb, uh, lambs weren't there was no no need for that. He he paid even when he didn't ha- have to. He, he suffered loss for for the for peace, but. God is gracious, and Abimelech took, took the, the, the lambs and gave him the water rights. And these water rights to this well 
is our first record of Abraham having anything to do with the land on a permanent basis. It's the first down payment. It's the first deposit. At the end of Abraham's life, there's only two things we know that he owns in the land of Canaan. One is the rights to this well at Beersheba. And two is a grave plot that he bought to put his uh, wife in and that he's buried in. God gave him great and mighty promises, but all he had at the end of his life, as far as the land, he had the son, the promise of the seed, and he had rights to a well, and he had a plot of land to be buried in. So what we see here is that God often, it's a ty- uh, 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 he, he's showing a type of, of our Christian life as he gives us many great and wonderful promises. And sometimes we only have a little bit of it. A little bit of what God has promised to t- as, a, as a taste of what is to come. At the end of the oath, at the end of the, the covenant, Abraham, he plants a tree showing his intention of setting down roots and staying there. He plants a tree, and just like in other trees, he worshiped. God has provided for him. God has provided a place for him. He worships the name of God, the everlasting God. Because Abraham knew that he was looking not just for a land, but he was looking for a city and builder whose maker was God. He wasn't tied to this one thing. He wasn't obsessed about claiming what's his, claiming his own personal rights. He was waiting on the Lord, just like we sung about today. He was waiting on the Lord. And as a Christian, as a believer in God, we still wait on the Lord. We still have many promises that God has given us. One of those promises is that God has declared us justified in Christ right here and now. He's declared us righteous. I don't know how often you guys get frustrated with your own sinfulness. I do. God has promised that he's going to make us right. He's going to make us holy. We are in a constant state as, of believers of already, he's already declared us righteous and right in his eyes. And not yet. We have not yet seen what we will be. We are not yet fully matured. We are not yet as what we will be. God has given us the great and awesome promise of he said we can have a relationship with him. We can walk with him. We can talk with him. We can have a, a, be in the word with him, pray with him. We can have a spirit communing with ours. But you know what? That is amazing. It's something the world does not have. And they, if they understood, they'd be flabbergasted at what they're missing. But you know what he sa- it says in scriptures? One day we will see him face 
to face. We have the we have the correspondence of water rights to hold the whole land that Abraham's going to uh, family's going to get. That's what we're experiencing when we think about the goodness and great things that we have in God right now. They are so small. They're great. They're awesome. But they're so small compared to what we will have when we see him, when we are walking with him in that unveiled state that we're going to have. When we are able to cast off this body of sinfulness, and experience the resurrection that he is, has now. As we go through the scriptures, it's a good thing to look at all the already not yets. All the already not yets. We are experiencing the kingdom of God now, living in our lives. We are experiencing God working in the world in amazing ways. Imagine what it's going to be like when Christ comes back to earth, that is going to be so awesome. We are looking forward to that. Here, Abraham got to experience a basic peace. Negotiating with Abimelech, negotiating with the world, he got some peace in the land. And we want to experience that peace ourselves. And we strive to not live in conflict with those around us, as Abraham strived to not live in conflict. But our goal in our life is not bound up in the here and now. Our, while we live for peace now, we are also living for the greater blessings that the Lord is going to give us in the future. Let's remember, as we go forward as a church, that we are God's people, not only of this world, but of a world to come, that God is developing and creating in us now and will fully bring into full experience at his coming. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and your graciousness. I thank you for helping us as we study the word. Lord, I know that we, we are so blessed in all that you've given us, Lord. But you have created in us a longing for something more. You've created in us a longing to see you Fulfill all your promises. And we, we seek your face, Lord, as you are holy and mighty and awesome. I pray this in your son's holy name. Amen.